Okay, well, as we, we gather together this morning, it is, it's great to see everyone here. I know we've joked this morning about it being an icebox a little bit. It's a little chilly, but we're, <laughs> but we're here to, we're here to praise the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. So as I, as I prepared this morning, well, as I prepared this week for this morning's message, I found myself led to the gospel of Luke. In all actuality, I found myself brought to two well-known passages recording not only in Luke, but also in Matthew and Mark as well. But for today's application, we'll be reading from Luke. Luke is the Bible's only Gentile author, and his writing style extols the fact that the gospel is for everyone, both Jew and Gentile alike. It is here that we find Luke's account of Jesus' chronological lineage, his baptism, his temptation by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus' rejection at Nazareth, his casting out of unclean spirits, and calling the four fishermen to be disciples. And it's actually fascinating to read through the chapters from event to event, awestruck at all of these accounts. But for our narrative today, we'll focus on verses 12 through 26 of chapter 5. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmaries. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. We've heard this term of leprosy mentioned uh, many times in, in biblical text, and a further look reveals that in the area at this time, there were two types of leprosy. Barclay depicts them as follows. There was one which was rather like a very bad skin disease, and it was the less serious of the two. And there was one in which the disease, starting from a small spot, ate away at the flesh until the wretched sufferer was left with only the stump of a hand or a leg. It was literally a living death. According to Jewish laws and customs, one had to keep six feet from a leper. And if the wind blew toward a person, from a leper, they had to keep within a hundred and they had to keep their distance of a hundred and fifty feet. The only thing more defiling than contact with a leper was contact with a dead body. For these reasons, leprosy was considered a picture of sin and its effects. It is a contagious, debilitating disease that corrupts its victim and makes him essentially dead while alive. Therefore, society and religious people scorned lepers. Rabbis especially despised them and saw lepers as those under the special judgment of God, deserving no pity or mercy. In addition to the physical condition, we must consider also the psychological impact of someone dealing with this type of affliction. To essentially be an outcast from society itself 
one would face not only the physical pain and disfigurement of the disease, but the loneliness of the isolation of being shunned by those around them, never experiencing compassion or the human touch, the humiliation of having to announce your very presence in a crowd by yelling, unclean, unclean, as you try to go about your day-to-day activities. Dr. A.B. MacDonald, who was the founder of a leopard colony in Itu, Nigeria, writes, the leper is sick in the mind as well as the body. For some reason, there's an attitude to leprosy different from the attitude to any other disfiguring disease. It is associated with shame and horror and carries in some mysterious way a sense of guilt, shunned and despised frequently do lepers consider taking their own lives, and some do. And in spite of this physical and emotional torment this leper was experiencing at this time, he comes to Jesus in search of what exactly? It's interesting to note that this depiction of Jesus and the leper are recorded, as I said, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but in Matthew and Mark as well. And in fact, in Matthew, it's the first healing miracle of Jesus recorded, as Luke and Mark both depict the healing of Peter's mother-in-law as well. So this man isn't coming to ask that Jesus heal him like he did the other lepers. In fact, we're told, we'll be told that this man's testimony will be directly attributed to Jesus no longer being able to enter the city due to so many seeking him for healing. So he isn't in search of the status quo. And he isn't in search of a mere physical healing or an emotional boost. He's in search of a cleansing, body, mind, and spirit. He comes to Jesus looking for a total transformation. He says to the Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper is not ignorant of who Jesus is. The leper is not fearful that he's asking for more than Jesus can provide. The leper never questions Jesus' ability to cleanse him, to rid his body from this terrible disease. And Jesus' response captured in all three of the Gospels is as follows. He reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. I don't know about you this morning, but that gives me goosebumps and not just because of the temperature in this room. I heard an old Southern preacher say one time, if that doesn't light your candle, then your wick is wet. I am willing, be cleansed. Then three days later, the leper actually left him, right? Two weeks later, the leprosy left him. No? No, my text in all three gospels says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus touched this afflicted man. Did he need to? In order to heal him, no. Absolutely not. The mere words would have been sufficient. In fact, to touch a leper would have been viewed as a defilement and subjected that person to the same requirements as the leper themselves. Yet Jesus healed the leper with a touch to show compassion to this man thought to be untouchable and to show that the touch of the Messiah makes men clean instead of receiving their impurity. Guzik states that by both his words and his touch, Jesus showed that he was in fact willing. He showed the leper more than his power to heal. He also showed, 
His willing and compassionate heart to heal. It is common for people to doubt the love of God more than His power. The leper's life was forever changed. He was not only healed, he was also cleansed just as he'd ask. And upon completion of this miracle, Jesus commands two things of this man. To tell no one and to go and show himself to the priests and to make an offering for the cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. The Mosaic law required certain sacrifices upon the healing of a leper. Ceremonies that were rarely, if ever, actually used. These are detailed more in depth in Leviticus 14 if you want to explore deeper. And in addition to the requirements of the Mosaic law being upheld, the leper's interaction with the priest would have, would have expedited his acceptance back into society. It is surmised that Jesus often told people to be quiet about these miraculous events due to wanting to calm the excitement of the crowds until the proper time of his formal revelation to Israel, which was an exact date prophesied in Daniel 9. However, we read in verse 15 that the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. As I mentioned earlier in Mark, we read that this pronouncement from the healed leper is proclaimed freely, and it was spread so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. And so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Amongst the publicity and popularity, Jesus continued to seek time alone with God the Father. The demands of life pushed Jesus toward prayer, not away from it. And we should model this behavior in our own lives, that no matter the season, no matter the, how busy, we should set aside time to remove ourselves from life's demands and commune with God the Father in fellowship and scripture and prayer. We'll read on in verses 17 through 26 this morning. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out, when they, let me start, we're in verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can, forgive sins? <laughs> who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. 
And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. If that doesn't light your candle, then your wick is definitely wet. As we continue to see Jesus' ministry grow in popularity, so too does the audience. We're told in Mark's account of this passage that some days have passed since the cleansing of the leper. And in Luke's illustration of this passage, we see the inclusion of Pharisees and teachers of the law in the count of those listening to his teaching. We read that represent, uh, representatives from every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem are all accounted for. And while Luke doesn't reveal the specific location, the book of Mark identifies this to take place in Capernaum. While this would have been a relatively close pilgrimage from Galilee, about six miles, it would have been closer to 70 to 80 miles from Judea and Jerusalem, respectively. I also want you to take note this morning of the denotation listed in verse 17, that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Some of your texts may say the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Regardless, here we see that even in the midst of those who listen with hardened hearts or less than perfect motives, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And since we know that wherever Jesus was, he had the power to heal, we can point to this as an even greater time of demonstration and reception of God's healing work. And in the midst of this great throng of people, in the middle of Jesus' teaching and healing, here comes a group of men bringing their crippled friend to Jesus for his own healing. When they find themselves in the position of not being able to push through the multitude of people to reach Jesus, they what? They gave up and went home. They took to social media to complain about all the people in their way. No. They engineered a solution that makes every man in this room proud. Yeah, probably. How not? This was the world's first paralytic skylight was engineered that day. And when I play this scene out in my mind, I truly wonder how long it took for these men to come to this decision. But regardless, we see these four men so determined to get their friend to Jesus that they're literally willing to blow the roof off the building to do so. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want friends like that. To be fair, it's important that we realize that the construction of the type of structure in question isn't how we would think about modern construction. Often the roof would be accessible via an outside staircase and the roofing material, that of thatch, laid amongst the beams. So access in this manner was actually potentially easier than we might at first think. But regardless of the ease of access, the illustration in this action proves the the faith of the paralytic friends, for it would have been much harder to bring him back up through the roof than to lower him down. Spurgeon writes it this way, they need to be strong for the burden is heavy. They need to be resolute for the work will try their faith. They need to be prayerful for otherwise they labor in vain. They must be believing or they will be utterly useless. Praise the Lord this morning that I do have friends like that. And when he saw their faith, he said to to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
Jesus saw their faith. I want you to take note of that. Their faith was evident. It is said that there's something lacking in faith if it can never be seen. Jesus saw their faith and forgave the paralytic sins and his friends on the rooftop, still holding the ropes of the corners of the stretcher, holding their crippled friend said, wait, what? They didn't bring their friend to Jesus for a spiritual healing per se. They were obviously envisioning a physical healing. This dude's heavy after all. And they don't have a plan B. The skylight was as far as they thought this through. But Jesus knew what the real need was in this man's life. That his greatest need. After all, what good was it if the man had two whole legs and walked right into hell with them? Please take note that Jesus did not mean that the paralyzed man was especially sinful or that the paralysis was directly caused by sin. Instead, he addressed the man's greatest need and the common root of all the pain and suffering, man's sinful condition. And for the scribes and Pharisees in attendance, those that had traveled such a great distance, this is what they'd been waiting for. This was the gotcha moment. It says, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Note that this is read as an internal dialogue or as a thought process of the scribes and Pharisees. This narrative, as recorded in both Matthew and Mark, better lend themselves to this understanding. But I want you to also note that the thought process itself isn't the issue. Technically, they used the right kind of logic. They correctly believed that only God could forgive sins. They were even correct for examining this new teacher. Their error was in refusing to see who Jesus actually was. God the Son, who has authority to forgive sins. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. For man alone, both real forgiveness and the power to heal are impossible. But for God, both are easy. Is a logical assumption that if Jesus had the power to heal the man's disease, he also had the authority to forgive his sins. In a way, it was harder to heal the man than to forgive his sins because the forgiveness is invisible. No one could verify at that moment that the man was forgiven before God, yet it could be instantly verified whether or not the man could walk. And Jesus was willing to put himself to the test in a way where the results would be immediate. Verse 25 says, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Again, we see it at these words, Immediately he arose. Jesus' power to heal and authority to forgive sins was immediately vindicated. And the people there 
were amazed at what they had seen. Can you imagine being in that in the midst of that crowd that that, that day? I do want to point out that once in both of the illustrations this morning, we see an immediate transformation, an immediate healing. And why is that? Looking deeper into both of these, it is what the Lord required. Through his immediate cleansing of the leper and the immediate healing of the paralytic, we see God's glory immediately shine through. Walking, talking proof of Jesus' authority over not only the physical, but the spiritual as well. I think a lot of times as Christians, we don't understand why God, God's answer doesn't happen in the time frame in which we think it should. We question if there's something else that we should be doing, something lacking in our own lives as we search for the reason as to why God hasn't provided an immediate answer. But to conclude this morning, take hope in the fact That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's not only willing for the leper. His healing was not only for the paralytic. It is for all of us who believe on, who believe in Jesus Christ as God's own son. And his authority doesn't waver just because it doesn't meet our expectations. And we must be trusting in his timing as well as his ability. Let us close in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in this place, Lord, in our worship and our fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what the challenges we face, the trials we go through, and the sometimes overwhelmingness of life, that you are always in control. That you are more than able, Lord. That you are more than willing in accordance with your will for our lives. Give us the measure of faith that you have for each of us to allow you to work in us, Lord, as we seek to have you work through us. We pray that you be with us this week, Lord, that your word will continue to resonate in our hearts, that we will feel your presence with us no matter what the week may bring. We give you the praise and the power and the glory forever. And the church says, Amen.